text that Austin just got through reading for us reminded me of the song, I'll Fly Away. As I was studying this text and preparing for the lesson this morning, I, I thought about that song, and I thought about how that, um, I don't know if the author had this text in mind, but I don't know anywhere in the Bible off the top of my head that talked about any place where we do any flying away. The text that we have today, we do have ourselves rising in the air uh, to meet the Lord. So I thought that would be an appropriate title for our lesson. In fact, when I first sent the information uh, to Jeremy for the newsletter, I just simply had the text there. But the more I started looking about it, looking at the text, the more uh, my um, mind started thinking about that song, I'll Fly Away, Oh Glory. There are several different texts in the New Testament that tell us about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, For example, we have 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that talks about how that when Christ returns, there's going to be the resurrection of the body and how that uh, our bodies are going to be changed, whether we're alive or dead. Uh, You also have the story of how uh, when we start looking through our Bibles, we have uh, the account how that. Uh, the day of the Lord is going to be a day of destruction. For, sec- for example, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 reminds us that the day of the Lord will come and this earth will melt with a fervent heat and the things of this world are going to be destroyed. But our text today is a, em- emphasizes something else and I want to spend some time looking at, at it today. be more of a simple Bible study than it will be a lesson, but I think it's a text that we uh, need to look at. The church at Thessalonica, for some reason, had some problems, had some hang-ups, if you will, about Christ's second coming, and especially those of Christians who had died prior to Christ's second coming. Now, keep in mind that in the early church, um, they had the always constant thinking in their minds that Christ could return at any time, and they were always patiently waiting on it. Now, as time has uh, gone on, we uh, maybe don't expect him immediately, but that's something that we should be doing. Uh, maybe we don't always look forward to it, but that's something that we should be doing. But in the early church, it was something that they woke up every morning, and in their minds they would say, is this the day that the Lord will return? Well, as time started to move on, and those who had become members of the church died, those in Thessalonica started worrying about them. And that's the background of this particular text. But in the process of Paul answering that particular question, uh, he also does some other things that I think will be very beneficial for us this morning, those of us who are in the Lord. And what I want to do this morning is just simply kind of go through the text, verse by verse. I can't spend a whole lot of uh, time on it. And I just realized that the I'll fly away part washed out of that particular uh, screen up there. And uh, But the text is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it should be here, I don't know why it's not there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18, what um, Austin read for us a few moments ago. But as I want to say, we can't spend a lot of time on every verse, but I do want to make some points about uh, this section of Scripture. The very first thing I want us to understand and appreciate is, when you look at the text as a whole, we see that it was written for our comfort. I want you to notice how this section of Scripture begins and how this section of Scripture ends. Paul puts it this way, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. 
And then at the very end of the section of Scripture, he says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The section of Scripture that we're about to look at is given to us for the purpose of comfort. As we read this text, this is a text that should not only cause, give us comfort, but it should give us great joy. It should give us great anticipation. It is a verse that if we are here today and we are Christians, this should be a ver- some verses that excite us as we start to think about what's being talked about in these particular verses. Now, what happens oftentimes when we look at this section of Scripture is people get hung up on all the different things that are not talked about in the text and are not explained in the text. And sometimes people get confused. But this text wasn't written for us to be confused. This text was written for comfort, to give us great comfort as Christians. We don't need to get hung up so much on how God is going to do things, but the fact that He is going to be doing things. There are some questions in this text that aren't answered, but you need to not get hung up on that, but instead remember what the overall theme of the text is. The purpose of this text is to give us comfort, give us joy, give us anticipation because of what Paul is about to tell us about the second coming of Jesus Christ. So as we start looking at the text verse by verse, notice some things that are brought out in the text. First of all, in verse 13, there is a difference between those whose hope is in Christ and those who have no hope. The text very clearly says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. In this world today, there are two classes of people. There are people who have hope, and people who do not have hope. Paul is wanting to make sure we understand that if we are Christians, this is not, should not be something that we struggle with. If we are Christians, we need to have hope. We need to have literally the confident expectations that we are going to be a part of what's about to happen in this text. That the day will come, we don't know if it's in the next few minutes, we don't know if it's later on today, we don't know if it's tonight or tomorrow, the next day or a year from now, five years from now, or maybe another 500 years from now. The point of the passage is, if you are a Christian, then this is something that should make you excited and happy because you are someone who has hope. Revelation chapter Uh, 14 and and verse 15 remind us how that blessed are they which die in the Lord. Uh, Revelation 114 and verse 15 reminds us how that that, uh, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. If we are one of God's people, then we have the opportunity to go to heaven and spend eternity with Him. We should be the ones that have hope. And of course, the passage also brings up the point that there are some people who do not have hope. The verse begins with the idea that we are people who should not sorrow because we do have hope. But then the text goes on and says our hope stands on our faith in what God did with Jesus. 
text says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also Jesus will bring with them. The whole foundation of the Christian faith is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our faith should be in the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that God has the power to raise someone from the dead and that person not ever die again, but to live eternally. The reason why we gather together each and every Lord's Day is because this was the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Every single time we gather on the first day of the week, we are saying by our gathering, by our actions, by our presence, that we believe that Jesus Christ rose again on the third day, which was the first day of the week. Every single time we assemble together, we are celebrating His resurrection. I know oftentimes the religious world puts the emphasis on one particular day, Easter Sunday, but the Bible says nothing about celebrating just one day out of the year. But instead, the Bible tells us that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ each and every Lord's Day, each and every first day of the week. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is even brought about when a person becomes a Christian. As Paul tells us in Romans chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, how that when a person responds to the gospel of Jesus Christ, how that they die to the old man of sin, they are buried in the watery grave of baptism, and then they rise to walk in newness of life. That is based upon the very idea that Jesus Christ died and was buried and then was resurrected. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, that this is the gospel in a nutshell, that Jesus Christ died and was buried and was resurrected according to the Scriptures. So we need to understand that the reason why we have this hope is because we believe in Jesus Christ and we believe that He rose from the dead and we believe that God has the power to resurrect the dead. I emphasize this to the congregation all the time, but it needs to be emphasized again that faith is so much more than just mental assent. Faith is so much more than just believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But faith involves not only the, the idea that we believe and trust that God has the ability to save us, but He also has the ability to raise us. That one day, whether we die before God sends His Son back, or we're on the earth when God sends His Son back, we, He has the ability to raise us because He had the power to raise His Son Jesus Christ. All of Christianity is predicated upon that statement. Jesus died and rose again. I want you to notice in the text that I have uh, in bold letters there the word sleep. Jesus, or Paul uses this word in verse 13 and also in verse 14 and also in verse 15. And that's a beautiful word when you start to think about it in connection with this passage. Uh, I know that there are some People in the religious world, uh, one particular cult that believes that this verse is teaching that a person will, will uh, have their soul sleep or maybe even sleep eternally. Well, that's a pagan idea. The pagans believe that they called death a sleep. They meant to sleep eternally, never to wake again. 
But in the Christian sense, in the way that this text is being used, the idea of sleeping here is, this is something you wake up from. In other words, when you go to bed at night, you expect to wake up the next morning. It's only something that you're going to be doing for a temporary time. Uh, This was adopted by the Christian faith because when a person dies, it looks like they're sleeping. But the point of the text and the reason why Paul uses that term three different times, he is saying those who have gone on before us, those who have died, they're in a state of sleep in a sense that one day they're going to be awakened. It's not that they're actually asleep as far as their soul is concerned because we have other passages that deal with that. The emphasis of the text is that this is something that's going to change. There's going to be an awakening. There's a great day coming when things are going to be changed. But then he goes on and says, this is God's promise, not God's guess. Notice what is emphasized in verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now we need to make sure that we understand that this is not just simply an opinion somebody has. Uh, This is not just some guess that we've come up with. We start thinking about our own selves and our eternal uh, destination. This is not just some dream that we have or some wish that we have. But instead our hope is built upon a confident expectation because it is the Word of God. This is something that God has said. This is something that God said will happen. This is something that God said will, will, will take place. It is a promise of God. So we need to understand that we need to have the confident expectation that this is going to take place. This is not God's, uh, this is not just something that we came up with or is a guess. Now here in the text, we see what the problem was, how this verse came about, or this section of Scripture came about to begin with. There were those in Thessalonica that somehow or another got in their head that everybody that had died prior to Jesus Christ coming back would somehow or another not be a part of the resurrection. They had in their mind that all those living on the earth when the Lord returned, well, they'll be fine because they'll be a part of that great homecoming in the sky and there won't be uh, any problem with that. But those who were in the ground or something else had happened to them, somehow or another, uh, that they won't be resurrected. The point, said, the point that Paul wants, those, wants us to understand that those that are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not vent them that are asleep. In other words, even though their circumstances have changed here on earth, it's not going to change those who have gone on before. But then in verse 15 and 16, he wants to emphasize once again the fact that there are those who are dead in Christ who will miss nothing. text puts it this way, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Paul says in the answer to your problem, the thing is causing conflict in your mind, you don't need to worry about those who have gone on before. You don't need to worry about those who are asleep now. In fact, there are going to be the ones that rise first. They're going to be the ones who 
get to see the Lord first, and then we'll join them. So in a sense, they have a very special situation. They're not going to miss anything. But then on a, look at verse 16. Here we are given a glimpse of the glory and the majesty and the power that will be a part of the Lord's return. Notice once again what it says. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Here we get a glimpse of the glory and the majesty and the power and the wonder of that particular day when the Lord returns. I mentioned at the beginning of the lesson, we don't know how all this is going to work. We don't know all the details, but we do know that this is what Paul says is going to happen when the Lord returns. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be a literal return. It's going to be something that we'll be able to see. It's going to be something that we'll be able to hear. It's something that every single person who has ever lived on the face of the earth and is living at that time is going to experience. Over in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, you remember when the apostles were watching Jesus ascending up into heaven. You remember what the angel said to them? As they longly gazed up into the sky, the angels told those apostles in the same way that Jesus had ascended, one day he's going to come back. Jesus is literally going to descend and we'll be able to see him. But also, we know that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. You remember how that when Jesus over in John chapter 11 was dealing with the resurrection of a very good friend of his by the name of Lazarus. You remember how he stood at the door and he said with a great voice, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus resurrected from the dead. There are those who believe that if he didn't say Lazarus specifically, if he had just said, come forth, that every grave in the entire world would have opened up. Because that's the implication of the text. That when the Lord shall descend to heaven with a shout, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 51, the Apostle Paul kind of, Echoing on what he's saying right here, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery, that we shall not all be dead, but we all shall be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the shout, at the sound of the last trumpet, this which is mortal shall put on, in, uh, this is, which is corruptible, shall put on incorruption. This is, which is mortal, shall put on immortality. And when this mortal has put on, in, uh, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? In other words, here in this passage, when this takes place, things are going to change. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And by the way, it's always been a curiosity to me that those who hold the view of premillennialism and believe in a secret rapture 
They, they use this particular section of Scripture as their proof text for this silent rapture that's going to take place. But folks, if you look at verse 16, that's one of the noisiest passages in the entire Bible. When the Lord returns, it's not going to be something that's not going to be beheld by everyone. It's not going to be something that's going to be silent that just a few people are going to experience. But the text tells us it's going to be a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and then the dead in Christ shall rise first. It's going to be a great and glorious day as we behold the glory and the majesty and the power that will be a part of the Lord's return. But then verses 16 and 17, when Jesus comes, all saints, living and dead, will go to meet him to be with him forever. The text simply says this, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then of course verse 18 says, Wherefore comfort, some translations have encouraged, but wherefore comfort one another with these words. Now, after very quickly going through the text and hitting the high spots of it so that we can get a flavor for what's going on here, there's a couple of applications I think that would be beneficial to us this morning as we think about this text and what it really means to us. First of all, I want to go back to verse 14 and look back at it, and I want to point out the fact that we need a faith that counts when there is nothing else to count on. The text simply says this, For if we believe, for if we believe. Some translations just say we believe. And the reason for that is the emphatic emphatic, uh, emphasis in in the Greek text on the fact that this is something that should be the case. If we have the faith that we need to have, this is something that, that shouldn't be hard for us to appreciate and understand. In other words, This text is really about our faith. Uh, The medical field is a wonderful thing. The the medical field can do so many good and wonderful things to prolong life. But medicine has not discovered anything about how to stop people from dying or how to resurrect someone from the dead. Science has made some some wonderful discoveries and are able to tell us about things that we uh, had no clue about as far as things way out in the universe to some of the smallest atoms and molecules of our body. But yet, science really can't tell us anything about what it is like in the afterlife. But our faith, our trust, our hope, that's something that can tell us something. In other words, as we go through this life and we think about death, and by the way, the fear of death is probably the greatest fear that mankind has. No day is more dreaded, perhaps, than the day of someone's death. But we as Christians, because of our faith, because of our confident expectation in what God can do, that we believe that if Jesus Christ can raise Christ, after he died, he was able to rise again. We believe that he can do everything else that he said. 
we need to have the kind of faith that not only believes in Jesus Christ and not only believe that he was able to do miracles and teach great sermons and do the things that he did, but we need to absolutely believe, and our faith needs to be rock solid in this, that his death on the cross was the propitiation of our sins and that one day we're going to spend eternity with the saints and the redeemed of all the ages. Our faith needs to be based upon that. But then also as I think about this section of Scripture, I think about this idea in verse 17, together with them. Then which we are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Death is a separation. Death is a separation from the soul and this mortal body. But, that, but the thing that hurts us the most about death is the separation from loved ones. Separation from someone we love on this earth more than anything. But this is God's solution to this. This is God's solution to the temporary goodbye and changes it into an eternal hello. Here is God's solution that we're going to be able to be together once again. In Genesis this morning, we were uh, talking about how that, uh, in Scott's class, how that the sons of Jacob came back and told them that Joseph was alive. It had been 22 years, but Joseph is alive. If, if Jacob had known when he received the word that, that Joseph had died and that he, he had been eaten by a wild animal, if he knew while he was grieving and missing Joseph that he would see him again in 22 years, what would his attitude be? What would his aspect on life would be? Well, folks, in the same way, those of us who are Christians, we need to understand and appreciate the fact that when we say goodbye to someone here on this earth because of death, if our faith is what it's supposed to be, if we truly believe in God's power, we need to understand and appreciate the fact that it's not just a goodbye, but it's a holo that's going to take place once again one day. It's a temporary situation. In fact, it says how that we'll be together with them. In other words, there's going to be a time when we'll be able to see them once again. Uh, think about a Christian father or a Christian mother that you've said goodbye to, or a brother or a sister or some other loved one. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's the one who brought you to, to the knowledge of the gospel. The point is, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ and Christ and trust Him, then one day we're going to see that person once again. My um, father tells the story about my great-grandfather, or great-great-grandfather by the name of Lafayette Farr. Uh, we're of Scottish descent, and, and back several years ago, a lot of my ancestors had red hair, and Lafayette had such blazing red hair that they called him Lafayette Red Farr. Anyway, he tells me the story about how the Lafayette Farr was in the Civil War and, and how he was, when he was fighting for the Confederacy that a long time of period had taken place from the time that he left home and the time that the war was going on. And there was a time of period of, period of almost a year where Lafayette's 
mother had heard nothing about him. Received no letters, received no word from his company, and so she assumed that he was dead. And then one day she was out in the yard and she was hanging clothes up on the line. And she looked across a field and she caught a glimpse of something in the distance, something red. And as that red thing got closer and closer, she realized that that red was a part of somebody's red hair and that red hair belonged to a man and that red hair belonged to her son. And as soon as she realized it was Lafayette, she dropped the clothes basket she had and she ran running across the field because she had been reunited with someone she thought was lost. And folks, in the same way, when the Lord shall return, when there will be that shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God shall sound, we'll be a part of a grand homecoming in the sky where we'll be able to see people that maybe we have not been able to see for years and years and years because we're going to be together with them, as the text says. But then we also get to verse 17 and we're reminded of this. Then which we are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's going to be a great and wonderful day when this mortal body shall be made immortal when this corruptible body will be made incorruptible. It's going to be a great and wonderful day when we have the opportunity to see people we have not seen for many, many years, people who are dear and precious to our hearts. But we need to understand and appreciate the fact that the greatest thing of this day is the fact that we are going to forever be with the Lord. We'll be able to spend eternity with Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who created this world, the one who came to this earth as a man, the one who went through every conflict and trial and struggle that we went through, the one who died on the cross to save us from our sins, and the one who is the firstborn of the grave, the one who is preparing us a heavenly home, will be able to be with the Lord forever. I'll fly away. Oh, glory. It's interesting that when we start thinking about this text, we need to emphasize that this text is only for those who are in the Lord. And the interesting part of that I was starting to say is, Paul wrote two epistles to the church at Thessalonica. He wrote 1 Thessalonians. And in that particular text, as we've looked at today, in chapter 4, he deals with those people who have hope who are Christians, he talks about the second coming as far as their aspect is concerned. But in 2 Thessalonians, he deals with the other aspect of Christ's second coming. In fact, he begins 2 Thessalonians in chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, telling us what's going to happen to those who aren't members of the Lord's body. He says, when the Lord returns, he's going to come with vengeance and flaming fire with his angels, and will punish with everlasting punishment those who know not God and those who have obeyed not the gospel. It's interesting, Paul wrote 
two epistles to the church at Thessalonica discussing the two states of man. In other words, there's only two classes of humanity. They are those who are in Christ and those who are out of Christ. There's only two kinds of people who are going to die one day. There are those who are in the Lord and those who are not in the Lord. There's only two kinds of people that are going to be raised on the last day when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time will be no more. Only two classes of people, those who are saved and those who are going to be lost. There are those who are going to spend eternity with the Lord forever and those who are going to be punished eternally. You see, there's no in-between. You're either on the Lord's side or you're not on the Lord's side. You're either saved or you're not saved. You're either going to heaven or you're not going to heaven. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you need to understand and appreciate the fact that here's a text for you. Here's a text when you read it, it should give you comfort, it should give you joy, it should give you anticipation as you look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, be quite frank with you, it should cause terror in your heart because there is indeed a great day coming, a great day coming. And that great day is coming as the day that there's going to be uh, the sinners parted right and left. And as the chorus of that song says, are you ready for that day? So ask yourself this morning, are you ready? If you are, then you're putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you are not ready, then you need to respond as together we sing the invitation song.